three, two, one, roll the footage. Welcome back, everybody. What if you could hang out with sprinters and ask them about their problems, their workflows, and their solutions? That's exactly what we do here on the Strategy Sprints podcast every day. And today we explore with recovering artist CEO, Marianne, how to trust your intuitive innovation, how to learn from others, what it feels like to be a recovering artist CEO, how to not reinvent the wheel, and why you should go your own way. Welcome, everybody. Mary Ann Ratmacha. Haha, <laughs> love to hear it pronounced correctly. Thank you, Simon. And uh, how do people in, in Miami say Radmacha? Radmacher. Or if they don't know any better, Radmacher. <laughs> <laughs> I've and... been called all kinds of things. <laughs> So what are you currently creating in beautiful Florida? I'm working on three different writing projects. One of them I'll reference later in our conversation. And I get to spend several hours a day writing toward these book projects. Cool. Tell us more. It's a... It's a practice that requires a real big vision, Simon, because it's not, when you're writing a book, you don't get to say on a given Monday morning, I'm done, <laughs> it's finished. You, you are done with your time commitment in the day, but you're certainly not done writing the entire book for a long period of time. So, in this process, you get to select the metrics, the rewards, the way that you're going to define a stopping point that feels satisfactory. Oh, you use metrics and rewards? I'm interested. I'm also writing a book and it feels like a never-ending project. But <laughs> what are your metrics and rewards? I'm curious. My, my metrics are both uh, hard stops and more ethereal. One is uh, word count. One is chapter completion. One is exploring a very specific topic with research background. So doing the fundamental work before doing the actual writing. Mm -hmm. These are little boxes that I use as an author to check off allow myself to feel satisfied that I've accomplished that which I have set out to do. And the rewards are time outdoors and movement. So I choose segments of time based upon my level of attentiveness, rest, and available task time. So I could write for as short a period as three minutes. And I could write for as long a period as three hours. And my reward is going outside and taking a walk with my trusty four-legged intern named Webster. Looks remarkably like a rat terrier. And uh, exercising, throwing the ball, doing a little bit of running. And the reward is not only do I incorporate movement into my sedentary section of tasks, 
but I revive my neurological pathways by changing my body position and changing my environment. And it returns me to my work refreshed. Beautiful. So what's your latest book? My just published book is a revived version of Live With Intention. I... Oh, good for me. You know, you're always supposed to be ready for a question like this, right, Simon? Mm -hmm. Here it is. Good to us. Live with intention. Beautiful. Remember and do what matters. And my current book project that will be published first is Courage Doesn't Always Roar. Exploring mm -hmm. Extraordinary Courage in Your Ordinary Days. Wow. Courage, extraordinary courage in our ordinary days. Love it. Because there are so many moments in our ordinary life where we are courageous. Uh, beautiful. How did tell us how did you how did you come up with this topic? How did this topic emerge? I wrote Courage Doesn't Always Roar, and I'll recite the most popular portion of it, Simon. And then I have a question for you, if you don't mind. Sure. The whole phrase is courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is the quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I will try again tomorrow. Mm. I wrote it over 30 years ago to uplift and inspire a good friend of mine who had adopted a child and was facing the challenge that many adoptive parents face going from a household no children and not a gestation period that's discernible to having a fully formed human being in your arms. And she was overwhelmed and struggling. And I am not a parent and I admire, I think parenting is the most challenging, difficult job that anyone can have on the planet. And it doesn't come with a paycheck either, Simon, does it? I know, I have two kids. <laughs> I know, and it's a full and it's a full time job. If if someone interviewed you, Simon, for a job that would last your entire life, for which you did not receive compensation, had no vacation time, and it was a shift of twenty four seven, would you accept that job? Never, ever. <laughs> Yesterday, Alessandro said to me, I hate you, Papa. I hate you. And so, of course, I love him even in this moment, but it's tough. It is. It, it takes courage to be a parent in the kind of context that you want to be day after day. And so when I wrote that and delivered it back to my friend, she recognized at a cellular level the truth of it and that phrase it was part of a longer poem but it's that phrase that i read that i quoted to you that has circled the globe more times than i'm able to count so i'm really excited to be working on a book that explores the amazing quality of courage and the way that it shows up every day it is beautiful and it is in these little moments of every day that that we decide to show up again for the people that we love most the next day and it's the same in life and in business it's, it's 
when I show up for my kids the next day, even if they say I hate you, it's the same thing that when we show up for our teams, for our clients in business, for the people we seek to serve out there, uh, because also there there are very hard hard periods for for all teams, and so this is so beautiful because it's it's these small moments. It's not the big campaign moment. It's these small moments where in the evening, beautiful when you say. I decide to still show up tomorrow. That's right. That's right. And when I talk about not reinventing the wheel and using your intuition and going your own way, Alessandro's expression of hatred for you is a perfect example, Simon. Because as a parent, you get to ask, what is, what is at the core of this? Because you know he doesn't actually hate you. So what is he really saying? And that as a parent becomes a lesson that translates into the office, the boardroom, the presentation room, working with a client. When, it, when someone in your professional environment says a hurtful, angry, or even inappropriate thing, the lesson from parenting is that you get to stop and say, what's What's the sentiment behind the sentiment? It's if you are a parent as a, as a life choice in business, as you just expressed, Simon, you're writing a book and you occupy a very compelling career position. You maintain a home and you have two children. So to choose to write a book, takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of courage. How do you muster the, the energy and the wherewithal to go to work on that project? How do you, how do you find the resource with all the commitments that you have to spend invested time working on your book? That's yeah. my question for you. Oh, you're really curious. Yeah, I can share. So for 17 years, I have experienced it. Then I had it in my head. It just wanted to get out of my head. It's now I have to share this with the world. So it was ready in my head. That was the decision point. Then came the pandemic and I had time to start it. And then I said, okay, now is the time. And, uh, and then I teamed up. Uh, we are a team of four people right now working on it. So at the beginning, I had somebody helping me uh, get it out of my head. Then I did refine until it was 60,000 words. Then phase two, we had somebody uh, who is a native speaker doing the refinement until every word is deleted, reduced, rewritten until it's simple and good. We are in that stage now. I, and uh, and uh, so I have two editors that I'm working with, one from, from the publisher side, one that I have hired additionally, and we are a full team uh, of, of four people in total. I couldn't do this alone, never. There is a graphic designer working on the cover right now. There is another graphic designer working on the illustration. So it's, it's, it's a team. It's a, oh, it's that's, a that's exciting. And... It's an example of something disastrous, a global pandemic 
that delivered you an unexpected opportunity. So in spite of the devastation that the pandemics brought, it also brought you a, a chance to manifest this book in a way that you wouldn't have otherwise had. Is that true? Yes, I am so thankful for the pandemic. It, it, it really stopped everything from one day to the other. I was flying a lot and from one day to the other, all planes down, now sit with what is beautiful. And now, perfect time to start one big inner project. Perfect. What is it that people have called the pandemic? The great, is it the great reset? Yes, some say the great reset. I think it's an accelerator. Uh, everything that was going on anyways, I, I, we were all thinking that flying around is not the best use of our time. In the back of our head, in our guts, we knew that you don't need to fly for eight hours to have a meeting and fly back. Come on. But it accelerated the transition and it, it gave us that little courage. And that is another example of what I mean when I talk about the contradiction, because we are engaged. You and I are on opposite sides of the world in completely different time zones. And yet we are experiencing a, a genuine exchange. And I, if I had come to where you are to have this opportunity, I would be dehydrated, exhausted, missing my dog <laughs> in quarantine <laughs> yes so it is disastrous what has occurred and it is an extraordinary rethink uh, and reinvention so it's accelerated some things and it has eliminated others even so in the acceleration of connection, there's the elimination of what comes after the face-to-face -face interview. Because as you know, Simon, there's the breakfast meeting bef before the real reason you're there. And then there's that opportunity to create relationship outside of the reason why you flew. So there are some things that are lost, but we're inventing new ways ways to achieve the same thing. Absolutely. I'm so curious who you pick for the strategy award after one word from our sponsors. Hey, if you love what you are hearing, you will love our free masterclasses. Go grab them at strategiesprints.com. When everybody's zigging, this person is zigging, you can pick only one person. Who do you pick? His name is Robbie Hansen. Mm. He's in his early 40s. I've known him since he was a student at university, and I've watched him transform organization after organization through a completely unexpected leadership method. Cool. What's this method? Well, I'm not sure I have full permission to disclose because he's currently writing a book about it. Mm. Um. I will say that Robbie has an extraordinarily unconventional way of creating a team. And I can say without any sense of compromising confidentiality that he has 
a hard and fast rule with every team he's ever joined to lead. If you gossip, from day one, he tells everyone in his reporting line, There's, this is your first warning and this is your only warning. I will work with you through learning opportunities, through mistakes, through errors, through production deficits. I'll work with you through almost anything in your employment. If you gossip, you're fired. Right there, like it. And he contextualizes that as the opportunity to let that individual discover their truest strengths and employ them somewhere else. So I admire his zig when everybody else is zagging because most companies just complain. In fact, they gossip about the gossipers. And he believes that's one of the most insidious, destructive elements of team building. And he has zero tolerance for it. I love it. Beautiful. That's my, that's my, that's my nomination. <laughs> I love it. And um, so I'm curious, what are three books that inspire you? I read Marcus Aurelius's Meditations when I was a teenager. I also read early in my life, The Art of Loving by Eric Fromm. And the third book that's dramatically influenced me is a book by Hugh Prather, who uh, is no longer, I miss him terribly, and he's no longer on the planet. His book, How to Live in the World and Still Be Happy, was a dramatic influence on my whole life experience. Tell us more about the last book, especially what... What did touch you in that book? Hugh emphasizes a message that philosophers have delivered for centuries, that life is not about what happens to you, it's about how you respond to what happens to you. That control of anything but your own mentality, your own cognitive and imaginative capacity is an illusion. You, you don't control the weather, the speed of traffic, when a light's going to turn red, that there are thousands of things in the course of an ordinary day that you don't control. And the one thing that you do control is how you navigate that day, those experiences. And that lesson coupled with, he didn't say it this way, <laughs> but The phrase you may be familiar with, Simon, is not my circus, not my monkeys. Have you heard that phrase? No. It, it, it references the fact that sometimes the chaos of life is a lot like a three-ring circus. And you have to look at that and say to yourself, is this mine? Is this chaos of a circus mine? No. So the phrase, not my circus, not my monkeys, reminds you to 
to return to your core, to return to that which you are aligned with, to recognize your intentions and not borrow or adopt other people's drama, chaos or disorder. Beautiful. Yeah, this is so strong. And if we, this is the, the stoic paradigm, most of it's not in our control. So, so little is in your control your values and your response, basically. So not even our health, not even, because I was thinking, hey, I'm in control of my health. If, if I move every day, if I eat right, if I sleep right, no, far from in control. Not even our revenue as a CEO, I always go through my spreadsheets, I always have my numbers. I think I am in control of the revenue. No. You influence, you influence your revenue. Yeah. <laughs> you have a very strong influence, but you don't control it. No. No, no, no. Just our response, our values and our response. This, this is so important to get, right? And it changes everything. How, how do you apply it in, in ordinary moments? Just this morning, I was finishing a very large segment of writing and it took dedicated concentration, not um, spurts and starts, but total focus. The phone rang, my dog barked. When you're a parent, children are children and they have needs and they make noise. And so how I applied it was I kept setting timers. Since I don't work with a personal assistant right at my side, I use a timer to help me. And so I would say, okay, you have to take this call, but set a timer before you take it. And then I said, I have three minutes when you're important to me. Let's get right to the reason you're calling me. And then I went back, I spent three minutes on a call, and then I went back to my project. So to specifically answer your question, Simon, I manage it by recognizing that I live in a real world. I don't live in a bubble. And I use physical systems to help me stay focused on what matters and what's most important to me. Super powerful. Thank you for sharing. And where can people hang out with Marianne Radmacha? My website is a conduit to other locations, and it's marianneradmacher.net. If somebody wants to hang out with my products, my body of work that I've created, they can find it at appliedinsight.net. And because I've been doing my work in the world for so long, Simon, people can just Google my name and find bits and bobs of inspiration on the internet. Is there anything I forgot to ask you, Marianne? I would love to tell you the one thing that I think is most important and pivotal to all the work that I do. May I? 
Please. I try not to reinvent the wheel. My father was a production manager at a facility manufacturing heister heavy equipment, moving equipment, forklifts, etc. And on the production floor, they had what was called a changeover. One machine, one production machine, and one machine operator rarely performed a single function. They performed in the same space many functions by changing over the machinations of the machine that they were working on. This is a protocol for most of what I do. What I'm writing right now serves three different purposes, not just one. My best advice is that if there are systems, methods, and protocols in your work that only do one thing, try to think creatively about how you can press that one thing to do more than one thing. I'm not suggesting that we as humans multitask. I'm suggesting that we as finite hours in a day humans find more than one way for what we create to work in the world. Ah, is it reusing the content as to have different functions? Part of it is reusing it. Uh, another element is, um, I believe it's called cradle to grave design. Architects talk about how when you design a product or a building, it serves one function in its initial service. And then as it ages, the materials can serve a different function. And in a world of finite resources, and as a human being with finite resources, it's important to create how we use our time to do more than one thing. And I just don't want anyone to confuse that with advocating multitasking, which I don't. I advocate thoughtful design that allows a product, an idea, a system to do more than one thing. Love it, beautiful. And so applicable. Thank you. Uh, so I think you, asked, you asked everything else you told me you were going to. Who should be my next guest? Well, I think that Robbie Hansen should be your next mm. guest. Oh, yes. I want to learn about this leadership method. You are fired if you want <laughs> to fired. Beautiful. Because many people talk about hiring on this show. Nobody... Well, one, Brian Robertson. Shout out, Brian Robertson. He has an amazingly elegant way of firing people. And it's a system. So it's not him firing people. It's a process, a beautifully elegant participatory process by which his company, um, called uh, Holacracy One, uh, enables firing which is beautiful and elegant. So people who want to listen to this Brian Robertson episode. And, uh, and it's important to talk about firing because it has a function. It is not something bad. It's, it's just part of managing. 
and uh, not many people talk about it. So it's people love to talk about startups and beginning. Very few people devote time to talking about endings, and a firing is a great service to another human being because you are helping them discover a path that is going to make them happier and more productive. Absolutely. And, and you're safeguarding your team and your culture, which will be there many years later. Yes, absolutely. Both are true. And I bet Brian has had people come back to him over the years and thank him for the way that he helped craft a different unexpected life. I bet. Super cool. Looking forward to learn uh, from him. Thank you so much, Mary Maka, for being on the show. And uh, everybody, get her books. <laughs> Thank you, Simon. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Bye-bye. Bye. Avoid trying to do thousands of things that doesn't work. We have 274 templates for your business success. Reach your ambitious goals with one-on-one -on -one sprint coach. We double your revenue 